Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here. This is the Locked On Nationals podcast. Once again, your one-stop shop for all things having to do with your reigning, defending, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals. And today, joining me is my friend Connor Jones. We will discuss Grapefruit League action for the Nationals, what we've observed so far, what to look for, and also we'll clean up some of the Astros mess because Connor and I have not given our thoughts and then really some things that we want to get off our chest about kind of how ridiculous the entire situation is that I feel like have not been addressed by the mainstream media and some of the podcasts here on this very fine network. So make sure you stick around for our Nationals and Astros takes coming up here. So now Connor Jones joins me to discuss all things uh, February and Washington Nationals. So much to get to, Connor. But before we get to the national stuff, I have a fun story here. This is from Arden Deer at Newser. Baseball is being sued by fantasy players. The MLB is urging a judge to dismiss a class action lawsuit brought by five fans who say their fantasy baseball scores suffered because the Houston Astros stole signs. The plaintiffs are suing the MLB, MLB Advanced Media, the Astros, and the Boston Red Sox, and they claim uh, the league was, quote, well aware that its team member teams were engaging in corrupt and fraudulent activity that rendered player performance statistics dishonest and undermined the validity of its fan wagers on DraftKings fantasy baseball contests. Uh, this is per Courthouse News. So I will ask you, is this fair or foul? I feel like they might have a point here. Oh, I think it's absolutely fair. I mean, I think that we've thought a lot about all the people that have been wronged throughout this situation, and I don't think many people have been considering the fantasy baseball players out there. So it's been crazy to me because getting to the Astros stuff, you and I haven't been able to talk about this, but I, you know, it was almost too hard to do a podcast the last couple weeks and talk about this because, one, it was the biggest story in sports and everybody was talking about it besides the death of Kobe Bryant. And two, like, it was just kind of fun to sit back and watch the takes, right? Like, it was one of those things where, like, you know, when somebody does something wrong, like somebody is, you know, says something racist, like Donald Sterling, for example, there was nobody who was like defending Donald Sterling. It was just kind of a kind of a competition to see who could be more outraged. This was exactly that. The only people who were defending the Astros were Astros fans, and then people who were like, Mike Mike Fires should be shot because he told on his teammates. So like those are the only people who really were defending the Astros, but did you enjoy watching the outrage contest? Because I did not. I, 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 like, I enjoy the Astros being villains, but this did not make it as fun. I think that it's just gotten more out of control. I'm not enjoying it, really. I, in a lot of ways, I'm tired of it. But I'm also part of the outrage to a degree. I'm, I'm one of the people that's quite frustrated with Rob Manford in this situation. So, like I said, I'd like it to go away. I think that if the commissioner would have handled this properly from the get-go, we might have seen a little bit more of that. But because of where we're at right now, it is it is kind of a you sit back and you watch the outrage situation. So I want to go back, and this is one point that I felt like nobody made, and I was really frustrated about this. So we go back to um, you know this whole tattoo situation. Did you feel like this was absurd? So I want to go back, and this is one point that I felt like nobody made, and I was really frustrated about this. So we go back to, um, you know, this whole tattoo situation. Did you feel like this was absurd? I do think that was absurd. I think that Carlos Correa should have been quiet from the get-go there. Like, it's some, there's some times where it's just better to not talk. And I think right. that that was one of those situations. I don't think Carlos Correa was doing himself any favors. I think we sit back and... 
you kind of know that guys on the Astros, rightfully or not, are going to get thrown at this upcoming year by, by certain pitchers across the league. And I think the more you talk as a guy like Carlos Correa, sure, maybe you're taking that target a little bit off of Jose Altuve's back, but he's bringing that squarely on his own because I think there's a lot of people out there that feel like nobody has paid the price for this situation. And you can look at it and say, you know, maybe management with Houston paid the price, maybe A.J. Hinch paid the price. But as far as players and I think fans feel, no one has really paid that price um, from a player perspective. And I think that Carlos Correa, with his comments, uh, the tattoo part being one of it, he kind of took the target a little bit off of Altuve's back and brought it onto his own. So this is what I wanted to talk about because I think it's ridiculous. What people weren't saying last week was this, is that you made a deal with Major League Baseball that you could keep playing baseball if you admitted to being dishonest. So once you admit to being dishonest, what you cannot do is then relitigate when you were and were not cheating, right? You don't get to say, well, you know, his tattoo, you know, you can see it was, you know, a tattoo. No, no, you told us you cheated. So when we assume you cheated, like there's really nothing you can do. Like you going and saying, well, that time we weren't. Okay, even if he was correct, and I don't think he was, but even if he was, it was a horrible tattoo. It doesn't matter. You made a deal with Major League Baseball and said, look, okay, we were dishonest. We cheated the game. And I'm going to put my hand up and say we cheated the game. The gift in return is that you may play baseball again. What you cannot do is then tell us, the fan, when it did, and, and the other players, for that, matter, for that matter, too, because we saw him get in with Bellinger. You cannot tell us when you did and did not cheat. You don't have that right. You, like, what makes you think that you can now come and tell us, well, it didn't happen. That, it helps you get there. So what I'm tired of is like all these Astros fans, like Tattoogate is occurring on my Twitter timeline. And here's a picture in July 2017. It doesn't matter. It, like, what does it matter about your tattoo? It's, it's completely irrelevant. You admitted you cheated. Once you admit you cheated, you don't get to go back and relitigate when, and when, it, did, you know, when it did and didn't happen. Like, it's, it just, it's bonkers to me. Yeah, I think, and I think a lot of what frustrates fans is that the Astros apologize for what happens, and the league comes out and they say the Astros have cheated, but at the same time, they don't specifically apologize for exactly what they did. They don't. They give you a, a very vague apology that they're just sorry, and they leave it at that. They don't well, apologize. They, 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 what they deny sorry specific. They, they deny there's... specific instances. Like so, so, it's like when did you cheat? What did you do? We don't know. As the fan, we don't know. People, yeah, people flat out don't know that, and that frustrates people. Manfred's done a bad job of, of you know, kind of uncovering that. I think to a degree. I think that the the whole immunity thing didn't doesn't make much sense to me. Kind of the way that he's gone about it, because I'm not even sure the players have been completely honest. Um, and I think that's a very generous way to put it is to say that they haven't been completely honest because. Alex Cora kind of got thrown under the bus. How much did he really have to do with it as far as being a ringleader? We don't know, and it doesn't look like nearly as much as, as initially was being reported. So I don't know how honest the players were there. I don't think they've been very transparent and honest in their comments since that. And I think all of that stuff combined kind of makes the situation not go away. People get frustrated with the commissioner. Players are frustrated. Fans are frustrated. And overall, it's just kind of a a cloud hanging over the, the upcoming season. Yeah, this is what Correa said, man. Quote, we affected careers. We affected the game in some way. And looking back at it, it was just bad. And then Altuve said, I'm not going to say that it was good. It was wrong. We feel bad. We feel remorse. Like I said, the impact on the fans, the impact on the game, we feel bad. 
I just at, they admitted at one point that they did something wrong, and not once have they since then have they they said like repented essentially or admitted what happened you know at all. So it's just been frustrating. I mean, the most sorry out of all of them seems to be Dusty Baker, like which is completely messed up. So it's just frustrating because now we're going to play baseball and it's all going to be forgotten to the extent of like us hashing out in public what actually happened and getting to know what happened because now it's just going to be a whole lot of anger and we're going to get past it. And I think, like you said, like they have not been honest, the players. So we really, as a public, as fans, are not going to get the closure we deserve. And I think... This isn't going to get any better at all. It's going to get worse because we're going to get further and further away from the actual substance of what's wrong. And now we're going to begin talking about, well, is it right to throw a projectile at somebody because they cheated? And, you know, we're going to get into these really mundane arguments because, you know, people are going to seek retribution because the punishment that Rob Manfred put down was not enough. And so I think besides the actual consequences of the throwing at people, we've got to consider the conversation around baseball and the around the Astros is going to really negatively impact the league. Like I, I am for the 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 narrative. I am completely for the narrative of the Astros being the Astros being the enemy. That is a caveat of like you should have leaned into what happened. I mean, like yeah, we cheated. We got an edge. We said we think it's happening elsewhere too. We can't give you specific examples, but like we think it's happening elsewhere. Yeah, we cheated, and just be the bad guy. Like and then be like, but you know what? We'll go and win one this year. Instead, they compl- they handled it, you know, like a ten year old who had a bunch of excuses. And and the thing where they kind of apologize for the situation and then move on to to saying, well, we earned that championship. It doesn't. It makes zero sense how those two things can can fit hand in hand. Because in my opinion, they absolutely can't. And you know, as as far as you were saying, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna hang over the league. People are going to have arguments all year about is the right way to handle it throwing it, guys. Is that is that not okay? Is it too dangerous? Rob Manfred goes out and says it's dangerous, which it is. But at the same time, if Rob Manfred takes players off the field, um, you know that were proven to cheat and during that 2017 and, and maybe 2018 and 2019 seasons, then this problem doesn't happen. People have a cool off period. They you know you take guys out for half the year, a full year, and guys can cool off. Other players feel like you know these guys have served their punishment, not that they're they're out there on opening day in 2020. And guys around the league look at it like these guys didn't pay their price, so they feel like in a way, whether rightfully or not, that they have to take it upon themselves in that uh, to to handle it because they don't feel like the administration across Major League Baseball has done so. Um, anyway, let's move on to the reigning, defending, undisputed World Series champion, Washington Nationals, uh, who have reported the camp. Meanwhile, while the, the shitstorm was going on on the one side of the facility uh, with the Astros, the Nationals were passing cabbages from uh, down the line like they did last year and smashing them on National Cabbage Day. Uh, I mean, could there be a bigger just- juxtaposition of attitudes across that field, across that complex? Yeah, I think I think that one franchise in that complex has certainly enjoyed the beginning of spring training far more than the other. But you know, that's what the Nats were doing last year: relay races with the cabbages. So you know that that worked last spring training. It seemed to be a, a critical part of preseason training. So why not bring that back again in 2020? Yeah. So you know, it's it's so funny. It was great to watch. You can tell the guys just it's such a great group, and Davey deserves a lot of credit for creating that. And you and I have talked about that at length. And, you know, I've been talking uh, to a lot of the other guys in the other National League East podcasts, and, you know, they can you can definitely get the sense that those other teams seem motivated. And you and I talked about what Davey Martinez can use to motivate this team. 
I, you know, the more I, I think about it, what I've come across is the idea that as a group, they proved something last year, but I still feel like there's a lot of guys on the team individually who have a lot to prove. And I think that might be the impetus for a lot of them this season. Example, Steven Strasburg, I think after getting that huge contract, he wants to prove how consistent he can be. If he can you know, produce that level. Max Scherzer, there are questions. There are questions about, you know, he was pitched at a high level last year, at but at times, you know, there's some cracks and that, that makes sense at his age. But, you know, are those cracks legitimate? Are, are we going to see more of that this season? Juan Soto, can he be, you know, the guy in the lineup? Um, and, you know, Carter Keboom at third. And so do you think the idea that a lot of guys having stuff to prove individually can make for a good collective? Yeah, I think that there is still a lot to prove individually. I think anytime you come back, um, and you're going to come back when, with what has a lot of the same pieces, but it's a new team. And I think a lot of the reason, specifically offensively, that guys are going to have something to prove is because Anthony Rendon's not in that lineup. And because of that, because of that loss, which is a huge loss, but... You know, I still think the Nats are a team that can compete to win the NL East and make a run in the playoffs. But you look at losing Rendon, and people are going to look at that offense and say, you know, there's they're going to take a step back because they're not going to be able to score like they could with Anthony Rendon. And they're going to look at the offense as a weakness, fair or not. But I think that's what people are kind of looking at is a question mark with the Nats going into the 2020 year. And there's a lot of guys that were there were starters on a World Series team last year in that lineup, and I think all those guys feel like they have something to prove to kind of uphold the the standard offensively. Juan Soto, we have to go to him first. He he homered today, and it was a, a beautiful shot to left left center field, I believe. Yeah, I you know. So it's it's good to see him get off to a nice spring, and you know, I'm I'm still wondering wh- what we're going to see from him this year. Once again, I, like I'm not saying though oh, he's only 21 thing. To be annoying, but he's only 21, so you kind of wonder how consistent can a 21-year-old be when it seems like a large burden is about to fall upon his shoulders. Is the talent there? Yes, but experience is uh, something that I think benefited guys like Anthony Rendon, and I think he's going to need a lot more of it before he's the number one for an extended period of time, like produces at the level and all season long. What say you? Personally, I think that Juan Soto's approach is one of the most professional approaches in the league at the plate. And I think that that kind of outweighs age in terms of consistency. I think his, you know, his plate discipline, his ability to to spread out with two strikes, his his ability to, to drive the ball with two strikes and take his walks. Those are the things that I think are going to make Juan Soto be able to continue to produce great year after great year. And I think those things as a hitter are more important than strictly your age. I think that he's well beyond his his years. Obviously, any hitter of his caliber would certainly like to have Anthony Rendon uh, in front of him in the lineup. That makes things a lot easier uh, than not having him there. So that part's going to be an adjustment. I, I totally agree. But I think because of Juan Soto's approach that's, that's well more advanced than any 21-year-old and then really most guys across Major League Baseball – I think that's going to result in Juan having a great year. I'm not really worried about what's going to happen there. It's more about who's going to be able to to stay healthy and produce in the middle of the order along with him. Someone else that I'm super interested in is Adam Eaton. And Adam Eaton had a really nice season last year at the plate. Seems to be just a consistent guy, a hard-nosed guy, a grinder. Really interesting article yesterday, though, or I believe it was yeah, yep, yesterday, 
by Jess Doherty in the, in the Washington Post about his defense. And ever since that ACL tear, he's been, a, he's been bad on defense, and he, he was really critical of himself last year too. Um, you know, do, do you think it's one of those things where he can get himself up to back to that kind of elite level defensively? Or is it going to be one of those deals where, look, man, it's just not going to happen for him, and hopefully his bat stays well and we can play him in the outfield some, but he'll just never be that guy again? I think that defensively Adam Eaton may not be what he was on the White Sox. I don't I think that he was one of the best right fielders in the league at that time and I think after his injuries that it's going to be hard for him to replicate that. Obviously Adam wants to be better than last year and a step uh any improvement there is something that the Nats would obviously love to have but I don't think that White Sox level in right field Adam Eaton is going to be something that we're going to see. I do think that Adam Adam was saying that he finally felt like he felt like himself at the plate towards the middle of last year. And that was the first time really in a couple of years he'd felt that way. And that's when he really started to take off. He started to, he started to hit for more power, hit more extra base hits that we hadn't really seen from him in a while. And so that stuff finally started to come around and, and he really started to produce at a higher level. So hopefully the same thing can happen defensively where with, with more time coming off that injury, he's able to kind of get closer to, to his old form and and hopefully make some adjustments there. Yeah, and he even said that he said in August, look, he said I felt better, and, that, and that's when you know things did get better for him. Um, they did get better for him at the plate. And yeah, we'll see if they do get better for him also in that respect as well too. Uh, also, also across the uh, across hitting wise, we, got, we have to go to Carter Keyboom. Um, what are you expecting here in in spring training and? You know, I'm expecting him obviously to get a lot of reps. It's going to be, you know, they're going to try to drill it into him and, and get him as confident as possible. But what are you looking to see? What should Nationals fans be, be trying to see from him, you know, t- to have confidence as him as the everyday third baseman heading into the season? Really, Nationals fans should be hoping to see that he shows the organization enough that he can be the everyday guy at third base. That's the ideal scenario, is that he can be your everyday third baseman. You don't have to worry about an older guy like Azdrubal Cabrera playing every day. You can, you can kind of limit his reps, which is something you'd like to do. You don't have to worry about potentially going out and trading for somebody at the deadline at that position if Keeboom can take over at third base and hold it down. So really, I want to see the him show enough that they feel comfortable putting him out there every day. That's the goal with somebody that was a first round pick and has hit the ball really well in the minor leagues. I know the the week and a half that he was up in the majors last year kind of sticks in the brains of some people uh, with his struggles at that time, but that's not something I'm really concerned about. I just, you need to see enough offensively and defensively that he can take that job specifically. I don't know if there's any spring training numbers that I want to see there. I think it's going to be relative to approach, uh, solid contact, that sort of thing, more than you know how many hits he gets or, or how he, how many walks he draws, that sort of thing. So I think with with Carter's, if they feel comfortable giving him the the keys at third base at the end of uh, when they head north, then I think fans should should take that as a positive. Uh, all right, Connor, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to catch up. All right, appreciate it, Josh.